to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to jump right into reading today because I want to read all 21 verses before we get into, get into our message today. But Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 21. 1 through 21, it says this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds, in the, uh, shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto, you a child, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, we thank you for this time that you give us to worship your holy name. God, we thank you for this time that you give us, Lord, to just lean in and see the beauty of the Advent season in a way that we could never find anywhere else in this world. Father God, challenge us, convict us. Lord, help us to see what it is you have for each and every one of us through your word this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, very familiar verses this morning. As we maybe it seems a little early to be jumping into the Christmas story two weeks before Christmas, but next week it's all our kids, so we wanted to be able to get into it this week. And you know, the whole Advent series, what we've been talking about, you know, in week one and then last week when Brother Garen would pick up and, and kind of share through uh, the rest of chapter one and talking about John the Baptist and, you know, his unique place in the Advent story. You know, the whole thing has been about seeing how through Jesus, the life of what God does through the life of man and the impossibilities that only God can accomplish the way God can accomplish them. And an impossibility that, that isn't for health, wealth, and prosperity for me as an individual, but seeing the kingdom of God flourish 
through broken people. Through people who are imperfect, through people who are unequipped, through people who really have no business doing the things that God is calling them to do. But that's how our God works. That's how God leans into the lives of husbands and wives. That's how God leans into the lives of parents. That's how God leads, leans into the lives of people navigating a, a very broken world and equips us and leads us into the past to do the things he's called us to do. And so this morning, you know, when we continue on and we look at the birth of Jesus, you know, for us, I hope that we can see that this Advent story uh, kind of culminating to this point of Jesus's birth is meant to show us that it carries some heavy implications and some heavy interventions for us as people. And so there's three things this morning that I want us to see that God can, is speaking to us through this story of Jesus' birth and this situation, that the impossibilities of this situation and how things play out that only God can do. And so the first thing is this, and as we navigate our own Christian life, that we have to understand, that we have to see to really grab a hold of our own own Advent story, what God is doing and speaking to us as individuals this morning, the first thing we have to see is this, that there is no plan over God's plan. That there's no plan over God's plan. And this is what we have to begin to see. And in the beginning of chapter 2, we see this kind of come to be. And so we see in verses 1 through 7, and in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And so that's very unique and very specific here that this is happening. This Caesar Augustus, when he is in rule in this time historically, I love Luke, the writer you know, here, Dr. Luke, is writing. He, he's one of the more historical writers in the New Testament. So when he writes, he likes to mention people. He likes to mention places. He likes to mention events that are happening because these aren't fairy tale events. These are historical events that you can and look outside of Christian literature and find these things playing out. And so when Luke is writing this, he says this Caesar Augustus sets out to have this registration or this census happen. And so what's the point of this census? The point of this census is, number one, to figure up his military strengths. Remember, the Roman Empire covers a vast majority of the civilized world at this point. And so he's trying to see how big is my military strengths. Like, what are my strengths right now? You know. And then also, he's taking into consideration the people at which are taxable, the people under his rule who are taxed, who he can take from. So not only what strengths, I have to do my bidding, but who also can I take from? And so there's, there's a lot of times when you see the Caesar mentioned in, in non-Christian or Christian literature, he's mentioned as the savior of the world. They viewed themselves as the savior of, the, of the, the, the civilized world at this time. And so for him, he's flexing his power in this moment. Uh, he, and he makes this decree. I'm going to do this because I'm all powerful, because I'm strong. Because I'm the one in control. And so he tells these people, this is the process. This is what you do. You will go to your homeland. You will go to the place of your family and you will register there. So I know who you are. So I know where you are and I know what I can get from you. So this is the, the ruler of the free world flexing his power right now. And so in this moment, he thinks he's the supreme ruler of the world. Right. He begins to set this out. And, and, and you know, as I began to thought, think about that, there's a lot of times we truly have convinced ourselves we are the supreme ruler of our world. Right. That we've got it together, that we've got it figured out, that what I say goes or what we think goes or how the world should function is the way the world should function. Like we're the supreme ruler of our of our personal life, of our time, of our finances, of our actions. Like we are the supreme ruler. 
You know, but, and I love another time later on in the New Testament when Jesus is standing, but right before he's crucified, there's another ruler that stands and, 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 and he tells Jesus, you know, if you would just do what I'm asking you to do and do the right thing, like I could, I could save you. I could save you from all the heartache. I could save you from the suffering. Like Pilate is telling Jesus right before he's crucified, like if you would just do the right thing, I have the power. I have the power to set you free. I have the power to do something for you. This is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, saying this to Jesus in John chapter 19. And then Jesus responds like this. Or no, Pilate said this to him. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And I love Jesus' answer. I love Jesus' answer here as he stands before the people. Jesus answered him, he said, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And so he's he's saying, listen, Pilate, you have no power unless God has already given it to you. God has allowed you to do what you're doing right now. That God is going to allow you to crucify me. And in the same instance, when we look at this story with Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus believes he's the savior of his world. He is the ruler. He has got it together. I'm the man. Nobody is above me. But then God is sitting back laughing and being like, brother, you only have the authority that I have placed for you that I've allowed you to have. And he speaks the same thing in our lives. Listen, any authority that we have in any capacity is an authority we've earned on our own, but God has ordained it and given it to to us. Maybe we enjoy the benefits of it or reap the reward of it, but most of all, what God allows us to do, the ordination of the actions that happen because of decisions we make or things we do is ultimately for God's glory and not for my own kingdom's glory. And so when this is happening, this, this census is taking place and Caesar Augustus is saying you go to the place and you go do the thing. And so then Mary and Joseph are having to go and travel from where they are to Bethlehem, which is about 70 miles through mountainous terrain. Caesar Augustus believes that he is the one with power. But then Jesus would tell Pilate and what Caesar needs to know here is that he only has whatever power he has because God has given it to him. Caesar may have been ruling, but God was overruling. Because this event that's taking place is something that God had predicted hundreds of years before this because this was his plan. This was his intention. This is what he intended to happen for Mary and Joseph. You know, and that's the thing. God uses Caesar as a tool to accomplish his ultimate plan for God's people. And the problem is, and for us, when we are the kings of our own kingdom, we believe we're the rulers of it all. We are the gods, the saviors of our universe. We become the prideful. And the thing about it is the prideful never see themselves as tools of God's work, but recipients of his resources for their own good, not for the good of others. Because we know what God is doing is God is doing what glorifies his kingdom, but also what is good for his people, right? And we know that hundreds of years before this, prophets prophesied this very event. Micah 5.2, the very, very familiar, popular verse with this in connection and concordance to what's happening here. Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Isaiah 11.1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, from the lineage of David. Remember, we read that David and Mary are of the lineage of David and they're going to Bethlehem. 
And it says, a stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jeremiah 33, 15, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And then Hosea 3, 5, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord, to his goodness in the latter days. Listen, all this that's happening, Mary and Joseph ending up in Bethlehem is not because Caesar Augustus put out a rule that people needed to go back to their family land to register. No, Caesar's decree is a tool of God to accomplish his ultimate glory, to fulfill his prophecy hundreds of years before this moment. Listen, we are never in as much control as we believe we are. The God of the universe is executing the things that happen. And the prideful will never truly inherit the resources and rewards of what God is doing. Only the humble will. Only those who see themselves humbly as tools of God's work. Because that's what Mary and Joseph were, right? They were humble servants, tools of God's work. They said, God, wherever you will lead us, wherever you will bring us, that's where we will go. If you intend for us to bear this burden of what you've got for us, we will take it wherever it sends us. And where did it send them? From where they were in Galilee to Bethlehem. Seventy miles through mountainous terrain to get to the point she's pregnant, riding a donkey, walking, carrying stuff. Like they're, they're making this journey, not an easy journey that seems easy for us with GPS and vehicles and all these things. But can you imagine... Being, I mean, ladies, being pregnant, a 70-mile journey on the back of a donkey. I mean, I don't know, but that sounds miserable, right? That sounds rough. That sounds tough. Probably lucky you don't give birth on the way, right? But for them, God is executing this from his glory. What does he say? Bethlehem, you're little. In Micah 5, 2, small little Bethlehem. Like, the, the rulers of the free world would have never in a million years imagined from the little place of Bethlehem, the smallest clan of, of Israel, that the Savior of the world would come from that. No, 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 no. The world standards would be that God would come from the place on the mountaintop, right? That the God of the universe is going to be birthed from within the, the empire of Rome. The, the ruler, whoever the ruler of the free world is, probably a descendant of Caesar. Like that's where they expect the king to come from. That's where they expect the ruler to come from. But where does he come from? God said, I'm going to orchestrate all this so he comes from the smallest place possible in the most difficult way possible. So that for what reason? What does scripture constantly tell us? So that no man may boast. So that's not because of me, but it's because the God of the universe has intentions that God's plan is over all plans. And that's the plan we lean into. That's the plan we seek after. And so not only within this, within God's plan is God in ultimate control over the rulers of the free world. And, and for us, you know, imagining ourselves as our own Caesar Augustus of our own kingdom, of our own lives. Man, God's rule is always going to overrule our rules. Let's lean into that. Let's lean into where God is with that. And then the second thing being this is, is that the journey of Mary and Joseph. 70 miles of mountainous terrain, pregnant, facing the elements, having the baby, no place to stay. Listen, God's rule over our rules. Listen, this was a difficult path, but it was God's journey for them. Listen, God's plan for our lives may not always be the easy path. And in most situations, it's probably not going to be. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be very much like this journey from Galilee to Bethlehem. It's going to be long. It's going to be uphill. It's going to be winding and turning and unexpected things that come up. Listen, our Christian life 
is a journey. And the expectation is not that it's easy. The expectation is that there's going to be opposition. The expectation there's going to be issues that come up. There's going to be times when we get off track. There's going to be times when we have to stop. There's going to be times where we get a little afraid. There's going to be times where we doubt. There's going to be times when we don't know what's around the corner. There's going to be times, can you imagine, there's not street lamps. They're traveling in the darkness, navigating Light of the, sun, uh, the light of the moon and the light of the stars. Imagine on a dark, dark, cloudy night how bleak and how black the terrain had to have seemed. And then when you can't see what's ahead of you, your mind begins to race and think what's out there. Our Christian life is the same way when we just can't see what's around us. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we're going. We don't know the path we're traveling. Our mind begins to create scenarios and we begin to be overtaken by fear. And it begins to hinder our process forward. Listen, God's plan doesn't come with the promise of convenience and comfort, but it does come with the promise of completion. God does not soften the road, but God guarantees completion of the journey. Listen, if we lean in where God's at in our Christian life, God promises completion of the journey. God promises. He does not promise the road will be easy, but he promises us that it will be complete that we will find the reward. We will find the resource. We will find what we need to be and to live the way he's called us to. You know, sometimes we may say to ourselves, if we're being obedient, why aren't things going better? Listen, the Savior of the world is coming into existence in the flesh. And God did not make this path easy. Because like we said, so that no man may boast. It's not because of the strength of Mary or the persistence of Mary or the holiness of Mary, but of the provision of God and the purpose of his plans that overrule all. Even my own desires for comfort, even my own desires for peace. And then not only that, Mary and Joseph's journey, but just the way at which Christ comes into the world. A baby, swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, no place for them to stay. This is not the way the free world would have expected a ruler to come. They wanted a political ruler. They wanted a, a warrior king. Listen, born on a, 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 into a, a golden crib, just covered in, in the finest sheep's wool, with the, 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 the most expensive incense burning around in celebration and offering. But what was he? He was a small baby, born outside, more than likely in a cave, laid on a stone manger, wrapped in strips of clothing, which is what swaddling cloths are. Strips of, of cloth tied around him. Vulnerable, Dependent, weak. The free world didn't need a ruler. It didn't need a reformer. It didn't need an advisor. It needed a savior. And the same thing for us. We don't need a king. We don't need a ruler. We need a savior first. We need a savior to lead us. We need a Savior that brings us up. We need a Savior that catches us. We need a Savior that keeps us close. We need a Savior that loves us. We need a Savior that pours out mercy. We need a Savior that pours out grace. We need a Savior that leads us through the dark. We need a Savior that pulls us out of the pit of our own despair. 
he entered into the world in obscurity. In pure obscurity. Born outside, covered with strips of clothes, laid in a stone crib. Probably around a place where animals would feed. He entered into the world in obscurity. And any greatness he had was according to standards other than what? Other than the world's standards. Because by the world's standards of greatness, this was not so great. By the world's standards of greatness, this is not the place at which a baby should be born. By the world's standards, this is not the environment at which a baby needs to be brought into the world. But the standards at which are visible here in this moment are now only potential, expectation, anticipation, which is what the Advent season is, right? It's expectation, anticipation, and then celebration about what God has done. What seems obscure, what seems out of place, God says, I take that and I do something glorious with it. You know, this is, this is the point where in the time of our life where we look at our plans, at our intentions, and, and maybe we feel like our existence, our job, our role seems obscure, seems insignificant, seems like no place in the grand scheme of whatever greater thing there is. But what I love about this, no plan over God's plan, is that God's plan starts at the obscure. God's plan starts at the insignificant. God's plan starts in the place where it would be least expected. And so for us in our Christian life, we can never believe whatever point we are in life, whether we're close to God or far from God, navigating uncertain terrain, that God has ever given up on the obscurity of where we are. God looks at where we are and says, this is exactly the point at which I work because no one would ever expect it. This is the point at which I do something glorious because no one can take credit for it, right? I thank God that he sees fit to lean into the life of a broken man like me. And what I pray that at the end of the day, for my children and for my wife, that we can say things were good and accomplished and were taken care of, not because of the greatness of Jake, but because of the glory of God and his intentions to lean into obscurity of where I am to do something with my family. So that no man can boast. So that it's not because I'm great. It's not because I've got it all together because I don't. And I make sure everyone around me knows that I don't have it all together. But God does. And his plan over all plans is the plan we need. Listen, the people wanted a ruler. We want the strong, strong warrior king. But God said, no, that's not, that's not what you need. You need a savior. And you need a savior born in obscurity. So that you don't ever forget that it's not about the king on the mountaintop. But it's about the savior down in the dirt with you. Came, stepped out of heaven to step down into the dirt where we are. I mean, just imagine the vulnerability of this child, right? I mean, the savior of the universe born as a child. Needing to be nursed, cleaned, taken care of, protected. I mean, in this day and age, I was nervous to raise kids. Can you imagine here? So difficult. But God sees fit to do something there. The way God works 
isn't like our way because we don't quite get it right. But in the middle of obscurity and insignificance, God gets it right. God leans in where we are and he gets it right. The second thing is this. Not only no plan over God's plan, but the second thing being this. God's plan is for all men. God's plan is for all men. In verses 8 through 14, we see this story of the angel coming to the shepherds and he communicates to these people that Jesus has been born, there has been a child born, and he even this angel even quotes scripture from Isaiah, is communicating to him, for unto you a child is born, for this child has been born, he's here, the savior of the world, and you're going to have a sign because you're going to find him in this moment of obscurity, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a stone manger, you're going to see him there. And so we have several descriptive words that are read throughout this. this. In verse 10, we see good news, great joy. We see further down the word peace. All these things, God has a message. God has a truth that he intends to get to people. And I love the first people besides the parents, the first people that find out about it are who? Is it religious elite? Is it the, the, the priests? Is it the, 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 the priestly kings, the, the rulers, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these, these people who had the scriptures of the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the Pentateuch memorized, you know, the Torah, they had the Torah memorized, they could quote it, they could quote the Ten Commandments, they lived by it, they, they functioned by it, they just lived to the religious high of, of whatever it could be. They were, they were it, they were the most educated, they were the most religious. Is that who... The angel went to to announce this message to inevitably to give them the, the, the information they needed to find the Savior and then to get that information and bring that information somewhere else. Who did they bring it to? Shepherds, lowly people who, who were isolated, who, who were, were, were very low on the social scale of what was happening. They were insignificant people on the planet. They were just shepherds. They were just regular people. God brought this message to shepherds, not a religious elite. Why? Like we said earlier, because they were humble people. They were servants. They cared for, for these animals. They cared for, for these sheep in a way that took humility, right? To be dirty where they are dirty. To be caring for this animal that would wander off, that was vulnerable. Because their humility was perfect soil for gospel planting. Christ didn't need the highest of educations and religious knowledge to begin reaching the world. He needed humble servants. This message... God's plan was for all men. God's message was for everyone. God coming through the child of Jesus Christ, born in the dirt, in the cold, brought this message to lowly and significant people because they had a quality that is the main quality needed to do kingdom work for God, and it's humility. It's humility. Remember, like we said earlier, the prideful never see themselves as tool of God's work. They only see themselves as recipients of resources for their own good. But the humble, the humble seek good for others. Good news, and, and this is the thing. 
the reason why they came. And we see in their response that they're very excited about it. Listen, good news is only ever good news to people who know they need good news. And that's where it's got to start. We have to understand we need something. That there's something that God provides us. There's something that's worth getting excited about. This is for us in our Christian life. We can't ever forget the role at which God's message plays in our life. We always have to be a people who know and realize we need good news. And God's got the only good news that is real good news because it's the only good news that never gives up. God's good news is the only good news that never gives up. And then because it carries us, it leads us, they knew that they needed something besides what the world would give. And God's the only one with the news to be able to give it like that. God uses insignificant circumstances to bring about the most glorious results. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, not jars of silver, not jars of gold, not jars of stone, but jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Like we said, what did we say? So that no man could boast. So that it's not because of me and my abilities and my jar. But it's that my jar is broken. My jar is frail. My jar is pieced together with clay. But God sees fit to place something beautiful in the midst of it. And that's the message that God has given us. He's given us this beautiful message and he's entrapped it within clay jars like us. Christ became lowly to reach the lowly. Philippians 2.7 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. God's plan is for all men. And so the last thing being this, is that God makes his plan known to be shown. And this is very important because the job does not end. God makes his plan known to be shown. In Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, we see the angel uh, leaves and then the shepherds go and find Mary and Joseph. And what do they do? It says the baby lying in a manger. And with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child and what? And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They made known the saying. The message is one that is life-changing, that it's circumstance rearranging, that this is what God does in the midst of his people, is that God leans in with this message that is meant to be known, that's meant to be spoken, that's meant to be shared. That's why we gather on Sundays to re-communicate this message over and over and over again, because from Sunday to Sunday, there's a lot of junk that comes in the way, right? There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of things that happen from Sunday to Sunday. And so we meet here to remind ourselves about this message that is life changing and circumstance rearranging because of what it gives to us. Because the peace, the joy, the, the, the direction it gives us is a message no ruler or a king could ever bring, only a savior could. And I love this. He says he made it known. Made it known so that all could hear. And what does it say? And they all wondered. And this isn't a wonder like they're trying to figure it out. This is a, a wonder as if they were in awe of it. They are just blown away by it. And this is for us. Listen, we have got to be people of wonderment when it comes to God. We can't ever get calloused to the message of God. We can't ever get numb to it 
Because it's, it's, it's too glorious. It's too life-changing. It's too circumstance-rearranging for us to ever take it for granted and be able to leave it behind us. It's always got to be at the forefront of where we are. And that's not always easy because there's so many things that come up. But that's why we have to rehearse this story in our day-to-day lives. That's why we've got to be reminded of the grace of God over and over and over again in our daily life. That's why we encourage prayer. That's why we encourage reading. That's why we encourage devotion. That's why we encourage attending worship. Because listen, the more we disconnect ourselves from the worship of God's people, the more distant the message of the gospel is to us, and we begin to forget it, not only for ourselves, first off for ourselves, and the moment we forget the gospel of Jesus for ourselves is the moment we forget to begin to share that message with other people, because if we don't have it, we don't believe we have anything to share with anybody else. If we're not excited about it, if we're not convinced of it, how will we convince anybody else? But it is, that message is for you. That message is a plan greater than your plan. And that message is for all people, no matter where you are. And that message is meant to be shown. And I love this in verse 19, and we'll end here shortly. Mary treasured up all things, pondering them in her heart. I love this moment. And I pray that as we navigate our Christian life, that we could have more moments like this. You know, we talked about, look, Mary's not perfect, you know, Mary would have life beyond this. She would have more kids after this. Like the, the, she is not a perfect person. But what Mary does do is she, she reveals to us a lot of elements of a faithful servant. And one of the things here after everything that's happened, I love in this moment, you know, I can just see this. Maybe just Mary sitting by herself, maybe holding the baby. I mean, I'm just implying a little bit right now. But that it says here in verse 19, she treasured up all things. Like she, she was inventorying in her mind the things that God had done for her, the things that God was doing with her, and the things that God would do for her after this. And not only that, she's treasuring up, she's inventorying, but she's pondering them in her heart. She's reminding herself about the work that God has done and is doing. Guys, this is, this is the most important thing we ever can do. You know, I love these songs this morning. And like I, I say this all the time, me and Sean talk a lot usually. We didn't talk so much about the set this week, but these songs couldn't have been better. Because I, I believe for a lot of us, we find ourselves at moments where our heart isn't on, quite on fire the way it was. There's embers there. There's remnants of a fire. There's remnants of passion. Because fire is representative of passion usually. There's remnants of passion there. But things have happened, right? Hurts have happened. Disappointments have happened. Doubts have happened. Life happens. And, and I believe Mary's showing us a moment at which we stoke the fire of our hearts. What do we do? We treasure up. We inventory. We inventory what God has done. We inventory who God is, who we know he is from his word. And then not only that, but we ponder them in our hearts. We carry them. We place them in a place where they begin to affect us and lead God and direct us in a way that nothing else, no, no resource, no, nothing I can buy, nothing I can eat, nothing I can watch or see or listen to is going to ever do what pondering the work of God in my life will ever do. Considering the family that he's given you. Considering the, 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 maybe the family he's delivered you from. Maybe celebrating the situations you're in. Maybe celebrating the situations he's pulled you out of. 
maybe celebrating the people that he's given you in your life, maybe celebrating the people that he's protected you from. You know, in the best of situations and in the worst of situations, we can always see the work of God. We can always see how God has provided. But it requires us to take those moments as Mary would do here. She's considering this message, inventorying those things, and carrying them in her heart, in her soul. As the band comes up, we're going to worship together this evening, but, or this morning. But all of this, this is Advent. Anticipation of what God will do. An expectation in the confidence of what He will most certainly do. And a celebration of the things He's already done. He took a young woman, betrothed to be married, gave her the responsibility of carrying and raising the Savior of the world, didn't make the journey easy, but orchestrated the events around her to fulfill his ultimate purpose, and his purpose will always prevail, and it amounts to a reward for his people. Church, Christ came in vulnerability, depending on man for a time. There was no room for him, right? No room for him in the places of comfort. No room for him in the places of honor. No room for him in the places of glory while he was on earth until one place. What place had room for him? What place had him elevated? What place was he mocked and called king of the Jews? The only place for him on earth was the cross. And he stood in that place for me. He stood in that place for you. He stood in that place so that the shame and the destruction that we deserved would be passed away from us into Him. This is the glorious message of the gospel. This is the glorious Advent message of Christ, that He came with a purpose. He came as a baby, vulnerable and broken, to be vulnerable and broken for us on the cross so that we could live in confidence and enjoy the glorious rewards that He gives to His people. He was born with a destination and that destination had each and every one of us in mind. That destination had our salvation in mind. And so church, I I pray this morning as we consider the plans of God, we consider that those plans are for each and every single one of us no matter how broken or how, how, how insignificant we seem. But those plans are for you and me. And not only are those plans for you and me, but church, those plans are meant to be shown. And so if we could this morning, we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. And we consider the work of God in our life. You consider your own Christian walk this morning. If you are here and you would say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you consider your own Christian walk and you say, where have the fires fizzled out? That the, where are there just embers in place where there was at one time passionate fires of glory for Jesus? That we pray, God, remind me, remind me, remind me of the plans that you have that supersede all plans and lead to where I am for your glory and for my good. God, remind me of that. Remind me of who you are in the midst of my story. And let us know that that message is meant to be shown. And so this morning, maybe we we haven't embraced that message. Maybe you're here and you haven't embraced the message of Jesus for your personal life, leaning in to become a follower of Christ. 
man, you would take confident steps in that this morning. You would ask questions. And I, you know, uh, uh, Garen's here. He would love to have a conversation with you. If you know other people within the church that you have confidence in, that you ask questions, that you lean into where that is this morning, and you begin to take faithful steps moving in the direction that Christ has called you to, because God's plan is the only plan that leads to completion. And it may not be the easiest plan, and it's not going to be the easy road, but it's going to be the only complete road. It's going to be the only one where God guarantees you're good. Amidst all the bad that inevitably will happen, God guarantees you're good in the midst of His story. So let us pray this morning and seek after that holy God. Lord, we just love you. God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. God, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the story that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you do, Lord. And I just pray this morning that you give us the the confidence and ability to lean into your glory. God, to worship you. God, to know you above all things. God, let us not take it for granted. Lord, let us not make little of the message of the gospel, but God, let us see it with confidence as we lead our families through it, as we lead the people around us to it. God, let us see this message, this plan that overrules all plans and that is for all men, no matter the dirt, no matter the, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. Lord, we know that your son Jesus was born in the lowliest of places to reach the lowliest of people. And God, we are there. God, we lean in where you are and we just thank you for the confident hope that we can find in you. And Lord, let us never take it for granted and let us celebrate it this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, stand with us and let's worship together.